0: Okay, so Dan, um, if you want to introduce yourself, uh, you can go right ahead, and then I'll introduce myself, and um, we'll have those both in the uh, the recording.
1: Okay, I'm Dan Norton. I've got a YouTube channel, which I use to advance Ayn Rand's philosophy of, of objectivism. Just in a nutshell, she is in favor of reason, egoism, and capitalism. So I have a lot of videos, uh, debates, and discussions and uh, if anyone out there is also interested in having a conversation, feel free to get in touch.
0: Okay, um, and I'm uh, I'm Dakota. I have a YouTube channel at youtube.com/synth s-i-n-t-h-e, um, and I usually just do uh, philosophical discussions and debates. And hopefully, this should be pretty fruitful. So, um, I guess maybe a good way to start, Dan, um, okay,
1: is my uh, my uh, address because you gave yours. So, if you want to find me on mm-hmm. YouTube, it's at Dan Norton One.
0: Dan Norton won. Um, okay, so if, I guess a, a good way to get right into it is just like maybe we could talk about our, our differences in our views. So uh, all of the ethics that I come at this from is um, they end up being a utilitarian framework. I know that relatively recently you talked to a friend of mine um, who goes by Brahmachine Machine online and you guys discussed the the ethics of both. So hopefully this doesn't end up being too much of a repeat conversation, but there might be some points here and there that we touch on that are the same. And maybe a good way to start this as like just to get right into the meat of it. You think that it's the case that Um, the, the, the terminal moral value, um, even though there are other ones that are in there that are instrumental to this terminal value, the terminal moral value ends up being that you should do what maximizes your own happiness. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So there are some hypotheticals here. So obviously for me, I'm going to think the terminal moral value is just what maximizes happiness. No, no for you, but just what maximizes happiness. That's it. Right. So we have similar views, but there are, I think differences in our views that are significant. And these are where the. I think the trouble lies. If I asked you something like, is it the case that it's morally acceptable to, if it was, if it was going to maximize your happiness to like, let a child drown, I guess your answer to that would be like, either it would be yes, but it doesn't end up doing that in the real world, or would it be the case that you think that like, um, there are cases in the real world where it does that, and you would think that those cases is still justified?
2: I think
1: you maximize your happiness to let a child drown, that you could let a child drown I think there might actually be some cases where it does, in fact, happiness. I mean, we can just say, "child is trying to murder you," and uh, you. Love it.
0: Yeah. I'm having a bit of a.
1: I'm
0: having some audio issues. Yeah, I'm having some audio issues on your. It sounds like it's like a like a. I'm not sure if it's a connection issue. It sounds like a crackling of the microphone. Is there um? Is there anything we can do about that?
1: Maybe I can turn down my microphone. Oh, maybe Get a little.
0: Could you check and see if in the bottom right corner of in the bottom left corner, I mean, of Discord, on that mute icon, could you right click that and see if it's the case that the correct microphone selected? That might be the issue. Uh,
2: okay, uh, click. Oh, um, it says uh, input device is AirPods. Uh, I should be. T- hmm.
0: The, uh, okay, is
1: there? Let me... that explains it switched mics does it sound different
0: oh so much better yes it's a lot higher quality now um that should help out so which i think what you were on is saying that there are there are some situations in the real world where it might actually in fact maximize your own well-being to to in the hypothetical let the child drown like for example if the, if the child was killing you
1: Right. But that's pr- probably a very unusual sort of case. So in the normal case, I, I think it probably would be best for your own happiness to try to save the child. I mean, assuming it's like you don't have to fly across the world to do this. But if you come across one who's in your path and you could save it without much trouble, I think it would be in your own interest to save it.
0: Let's say it's like let's say it's the case that there's some individual such that they don't have the disposition such they feel very guilty about it and they wouldn't get caught. Right, there's like a child drowning in a lake, and it's, they're like a they're a person who's like relatively cold. They're not like an evil person, right? Um, you could compel them morally, giving them moral language and things like this. But it's the case that it's not going to maximize their happiness in that case. They just they're not going to feel all too guilty about letting the child drown. Uh, maybe they're like uh, maybe they have ASPD or something, um, and it's also the case that like nobody would catch them because it like it, it happens in like a like a, uh, some like very very um, remote area. Do you think this person has a moral obligation to save the child or should they not do it? Would they be doing something wrong if they went and uh, harm their happiness to save the child?
1: It sounds like you might be talking about a psychopath, which often comes up in my discussions. So if we, if we assume that it's not going to advance the self-interest, happiness of the, the person who comes across this child, then... I don't think that person has any reason to save the child. I think that again, I think that's very atypical. I think that the normal person is going to uh, is going to be in a normal person's self interest to try to save a drowning child he comes across. I mean, assuming it's not at the risk of his own life too much. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you uh, if it's your own child who's drowning, I think that that's different than if it's just a random child. Mm I think it makes sense to take more of a risk in the case of your own child than it does if it's somebody else's child, a stranger, especially, you know, given how good you are at swimming. Maybe you're not a great swimmer, so it makes less sense to uh, try in the case of a stranger's child than it does in the case of your own child. So it depends on the variables, but uh, I think it's got to advance your own happiness some way for it to make sense to, to you to do it, to try to save it.
0: Okay. So I guess maybe a, um, maybe to, to ramp this up and we'll go like one step up in terms of what I, what I take to be reductios. And then if it's the case that you just think this doesn't seem like a reductio to me, then I think we can go into like maybe a more meta-ethical discussion about the justifications between different systems. So what if instead of it being the case that it's like a sociopath letting age, letting a child drown, they're, they're, they're letting something die. Instead, it's somebody who would like to do something maybe very, very vulgar um, and, and, and reprehensible to a child um, to our intuitions, but to them, it would in fact maximize their happiness. Like maybe they're like a, um, maybe they're like some kind of like sociopathic, like pedophile or something. Do you think in these cases, the person has like, if it's the case that it will maximize their own happiness to go do something very awful to a child, do you think that they ought to do that?
1: I guess so. If they really think it's going to maximize their own happiness and including in their calculation, what are the likely consequences? So if they realize, well, I'm likely to be thrown in jail mm-hmm. for life as a result of this, despite that, I still think it's worth the risk. And I, I guess it makes sense for that person, for that sociopath, to take that action. Because I do think one's own happiness is what one ought to pursue. What, it's what makes most sense to pursue. Again, I don't think most people th- this is going to be true of most people. I don't think it will be
0: okay, yeah, I think in, in most cases it wouldn't be, but there's probably some some person out there who's freakish enough so that it does become true and it It feels to me like intuitively um it, the correct moral system would condemn condemn that person as opposed to say that they are uh, is supposed to obligate them so I guess what I'm curious about then is what do you think it is that that, that, that gives this moral system the one that you hold um credence about these other ones? Is it just the case that you just take it to be? Um, reflective of like something subjective or is it the case that you think there's some real reason to prefer yours over other ethical systems?
1: Well, I do think that pleasure is the foundation of the concept of good. And this came up in the previous discussion with bra machine. So um, something doesn't ultimately redound to your own pleasure I just don't see any reason and I include happiness as a form of pleasure. Um, So if something doesn't in any way uh, help out your own, if it's not conducive to your own pleasure and I just don't see any reason why one should take the action. And um, I, I think that might just be a foundational that I have. And I wouldn't consider it subjective Uh, maybe I would say it's objective. Um, Again, well, not again, but what exactly objective means, that's a discussion unto itself, which maybe we could get into that. But I wouldn't say it's it's, uh, subjective. The term subjective, I think it often means it's, it's just due to something in your mind. It has nothing to do with reality outside your mind. But I think there are facts of reality independent of your own mind, like it's it's not a it's not just a subjective preference that when I eat ice cream or, or something sugary, it tastes good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just a fact of reality, a fact of my nature. I didn't invent that, so I think that could be said to be an objective fact, and I just don't see any uh grounds for preferring some action that doesn't somehow uh enhance your own pleasure so there's a pause there
0: yeah i I think that's a i think i agree with almost everything you said except for right at the end there it moves from what's good is pleasure and what's bad is like the the, what's like the, the opposite of it which is suffering right it moves from that to what's good is pleasure for me and what's bad is suffering for me and that seems strange to me because that does seem mind dependent. It seems like it's for you. you what, what, what else are you than a mind? Um, I couldn't understand what you means outside of that. Is there something else that you mean when you say you? Just like the, maybe you mean like the DNA or something or like something that's objective and in the world.
1: Okay, so the, uh, I think implicit in the experience of pleasure, of its goodness, is that it's your pleasure. Again, this came up in the prior discussion, but that's fine. Um so I don't I don't see a uh reason to I, I don't think pleasure in the abstract, apart from its relation to any particular agent, makes sense for you to pursue. Like I don't think I have a reason to pursue some other guy's pleasure unless say the guy is my friend and it gives me pleasure. Mm -hmm. help my friend out well then it's coming back in the end to my pleasure if it doesn't in the end relate to my pleasure it just just uh doesn't make any sense to me to pursue it but it seems self-evident to me uh as to why one should want to pursue one's own pleasure and i don't know that i could there's any argument i could give because i do think it is kind of just self-evidence so i think it's a foundational point but you also asked like what is you Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's different senses of you. Um, does it include your mind and your body, both? In, in a way, I think uh, the mind is more fundamental to who someone is as a human being because I think the mind uh, controls the body. So in a way, it's the causal source of what the body does. Uh, so it's a causal fundamental I believe in free will, or I think it's plausible, at least that the mind does control the body in a any a free kind of way. I don't think uh, determinism is correct. Uh, so I've been going on for a while. I'll just pause there.
0: Okay. Yeah. I I guess there is like there are a couple things to tackle there, but I think what's most what's most interesting, and might we'll, we'll we'll move the conversation in a direction that's kind of novel and not just like a, like a repeat for you of the last conversation is what do you think it is that makes you you right we could say it's the mind right but what is it about the mind what makes your mind yours and my mind mind what is like the what, what is the thing that makes it yours versus mine
1: what makes my mind mine instead of yours Well, i have um control over my mind whereas i don't have control over your mind or what i would Yeah, what I would call your mind. So there's a directness uh, that applies to one that doesn't apply to the other. I have introspective access to one that I don't have uh, when it comes to your mind. So, And I have a certain viewpoint on the Mm -hmm. world, uh, which which you don't have and vice versa. Those are some of the things that I would say distinguishes my mind from other people's minds.
0: So I think here's the really interesting issue. I think here's the really interesting issue, which is when you say I have this and I have that, if I asked you what does I refer to, it would just end up being your mind, right? So it ends up being a circular definition. If I asked you what makes your mind yours, you'd say that, okay, it's this this, this, this concept of I having it, but I, this just going to be your mind there, right? Um, and by your mind, it's just going to, once again, um, boil down to I, uh, that, that, that I have this property and I have that property of the mind. So what is it that makes you, you? What is it that makes I, I?
1: We might be getting down here to an axiomatic concept, which there's uh, mm-hmm. not really a further explanation of. Ayn Rand does take consciousness to be an axiomatic concept. It's not something you could explain. You could give synonyms of it. You could say mind mm-hmm. or self. Um, but those are just other ways of saying consciousness. Um that's, uh I mean, how do I distinguish my mind for other? I mean, at a fr- when you're an infant, I don't. I don't think you know you have a mind, mm-hmm. at least not explicitly. But you you interact with the world, and at a certain point, I think you you come to grasp that there are other minds like yours out there, and they have their own perception on the world. I. I mean. All the details on how you, how you come to figure out that you're not the only mind in the world. Uh, I mean, there's a story you could tell about that. I don't know how relevant it is, but are you, are you challenging the fact that you can come to grasp that there are other minds? I mean, I take it that implicit in the grasping that there are other minds is some recognition of how you differ from other people including how your mind differs from other people's minds yeah would you agree that you can at least grasp there are other minds in the world
0: i think that it's the case that it might be a fiction and i think the reason i think it's a it's plausibly a fiction and likely to be a fiction is because i think if it's the case there's nothing that really makes your mind yours over time you'd probably still have the illusion of having a mind over time there's a good evolutionary reason for this right the good evolutionary reason just ends up being if you have some kind of like motivation for self-preservation even if there's nothing that really makes a self a self um, it ends up being a really good MESA optimizer for, um, for having your genes passed down. It's a really good alt- like, like, like instrument for the, the goal of making sure that more things like your genetics are passed down. If there's nothing that really makes you you. Um, it would still be the case that evolution would want us to have some kind of illusion of there being a you. Some kind of like pretend, uh, pretend version of the self, which we have a lot of fears uh, about getting rid of. Because obviously this, this ends up leading to more reproduction. So there, I think there's a good evolutionary debunking argument of this particular intuition, which means that this one should be weighed lower. And so intuitions um, and other areas, like the intuitions of the domain of like, what's right and wrong to do, those ones, I think that ones like pleasure being good and um, eh, uh, suffering being bad, I think that there's not a good evolutionary debunking argument of these. I think a much more reasonable alter, uh, explanation of these being good and bad is that these things sort of exist as things which are good, but qualia exists as a thing that actually exists. Um, and then evolution takes hold of qualia and sort of uses it to drive us towards um, certain actions and behaviors to help our deliberative process or to create a deliberative process, you could say. right? And that ends up leading to more reproduction. So I think there's an evolutionary rebunking of this thing over here, this qualia, and an evolutionary debunking of this thing over here, like the concept of the self.
1: Okay. There's a lot there. So... If- taking a few notes here so some of the things that came up that i'm wondering about now are so it sounds like you might be open to solipsism like the idea that your own mind is the only mind and everyone else Not exactly might be a fiction the cl- term fiction that's what yeah. made me think of solipsism Can i
0: correct something here to make sure it's a little bit more clear i'm saying that the concept of myself versus yourself is what the fiction is i think that like they're, those delineating lines, those distinctions, that's where the fiction actually exists. It's a useful social fiction. It's a useful evolutionary fiction. But I don't think there's anything really that makes me, me versus you, you that's actually some kind of fact that exists out there in the world. I think it's a fiction. I think it's like a thing that we can use as a tool. But like in the same way, the ship of Theseus is like a fiction, right? That ship being Theseus' ship is a fiction. And if you swap the planks out, eventually you're left with something that sort of shows that fiction to be as fictional as it actually is.
1: Okay, so now I'm, what came to mind, my mind, whatever that is, is uh, the Buddhist kind of view where there's not really a self, in the sense of like an individual self that Westerners often believe in. There's, there might be this kind of universal cosmic self. I think they might call it Atman or Brahman or something like that. Uh, is that more in line with the sort of view that you are entertaining?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a lot more in line with the view that I hold to.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that, yeah, that's a pretty deep uh, difference. Then, so um, I guess that's uh, be a difference in metaphysics, or not even in ethics, uh, which we discussed a little beforehand. <clears throat> um, so we could we could talk about that, like how do we determine whether the Buddhist view of the self is correct, or the, what we might call the Western individualist view of the self. So uh, how do we, I mean, do you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, so I, do
1: you want to go on another?
0: I think it ends up being, it is metaphysical, but I think it ends up being a, very important for our metaethics, because I think at the end of the day, ethics, if they're about something that's real and they the thing that actually exists, that ends up being an ontological discussion. It ends up being something that's, that's going to in some way be metaphysical. So I, I think it's important. Um, and the, the argument I give in favor of one versus the other just ends up being that like evolutionary debunking of this concept and an evolutionary um, uh, uh, reinforcing of this other concept over here. So we can take a look at which one would be more likely to be produced by evolution given the alternative hypothesis. And it's just the case that we expect to see this intuition either way. So the intuition ends up being no evidence whatsoever.
1: Okay. Um, so I do think the... Your your metaphysics affects your ethics, so there's not really – like, if I hold the ethical view that it's good to pursue your own happiness, meaning your own happiness as an individual, as opposed to someone else's happiness, well, that presupposes a metaphysics of individualism, which it just sounds like you're not on board with, so I don't think I would – or at least I'm I'm doubtful I can make a plausible case for a individualistic sort of ethics if you'd only agree on an individualist metaphysics. So I guess it makes more sense to to focus on the uh, metaphysics than because I think going to the fundamentals is what makes most sense to do if people are not on the same page about something. Try to find out where the root difference lies. Um. So yeah, we could talk about that. So one other thought that came to mind is I think evolution is a, it's an advanced sort of scientific theory. I mean, Charles Darwin is most associated with it, although there might have been, you know, predecessor versions of it earlier than him. Uh, But I I think this issue of um, whether the self should be conceived in an individualistic or what we might call a collectivist kind of way is Uh, prior, hierarchically. I think there's a a, um, hierarchy of knowledge, just meaning that knowledge is acquired in a certain order, like you can't Mm -hmm. learn calculus before you understand arithmetic, algebra, because arithmetic would be a hierarchically prior subject. I think the metaphysics of the nature of the self is a hierarchically prior issue to something like evolution. I consider evolution to be a, a relatively advanced sort of scientific theory. But, so, but it seems like you might be using evolution to establish something about the metaphysics. So I, I'm, I'm concerned that the hierarchy might be getting reversed, uh, the sort of argument you're putting forth. If you're using evolution as a means to establish your uh, collective nature of the self, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's the right uh, way forward. But is that the sort of uh, structure of argument you're using?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reason why it's not an issue here is because in the case of the evolutionary arguments, I don't think it's the case you have to presuppose any kind of self for like these higher order scientific theories These that, that, that supervene onto like science. I don't think they end up supervening onto the self. Um, I think that what we can do is we can say, on your view, right, it's still the case that you do, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing at least, that you believe in evolution, um, you seem like an intelligent person. Um, if it's the case you believe in evolution, then that intuition is just as expected on your view as the self not existing at all on or sorry that is that intuition as is on my view it's just as expected on both so if it's just as just as expected on both and it's not going to really be evidence for either or and but i think we could have the the evolution um as an idea without having any kind of concept of the self like i don't think it ends up being an issue for me because i don't think there's concepts of the self but i do think it's the case that you have um, a process of natural selection and in the same way that i don't think there's like a like, a dis-oneness a this this to electrons, but we can still have, like, physics, right? There's not a dis-electron versus that electron. It all ends up being, like, totally indistinct and inseparable. Um, but we can still talk about the physics of, like, um, the higher-order physics of something like, like classical mechanics, right? We can talk about something like that while still admitting that all of these electrons just on one electron field or something.
2: Um, so, I...
1: I don't know that the, um, the. I haven't really thought much about this, like whether you need a certain notion of the self makes sense of evolution. Uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I haven't really thought thought that through much, but there is another point, which I'm not sure exactly is how related. If it's related, but um. I don't see the purpose of life at least the life of a human being to be to reproduce Mm -hmm. so you you might one might very well not want to have children i think that's fine um i don't know if this view uh, depends on having an individualistic notion of the self maybe it does because i'm saying some individuals it makes sense for them to uh reproduce others it does make sense for them to reproduce because children would be bring happiness to them some people think it would
0: well i don't i don't think that there's i don't think there's anything at odds with like um anything at odds with the view here right i think that I also believe that like when we talk about the fictions, the fiction of a self, there are some people, right, so to speak, um, who it's not the case that it would maximize utility. if These individuals had happiness uh, or sorry, if these individuals had children, obviously, if they have happiness. Um, And it is the case for other individuals. It would be good on utility for them to have children. So, for example, if somebody is like a person who would really hate to raise children, be really I would recommend against them raising children. Right, don't do that. Um, It's the case that it's only going to feel bad. That's only going to cause suffering, not not happiness. Don't force yourself to do something um, that you don't think is actually going to be good. But I do think there's something good in and of itself about having children, even if it doesn't. If it's not the case that it brings you happiness, because you can bring that child happiness. Um, so the the concept of the self, I think, ends up being like a, like a fiction that we can use to talk about the thing in this sense. I don't think it's the case. That there's anything real it points to, but I do. I think it's totally compatible um, with your view that like it's not just the purpose. The purpose is not just to reproduce, right? The purpose is making sure happiness is more and sufferings less. And probably there, there are other things that exist in the objective list as well, of like things that are like um, valent, things that are like good in and of themselves uh, or bad in and of themselves that you should avoid. Um, so I don't think there's any issue here for your view if you want to like say that there are some people who it wouldn't make them very happy to have kids. And so it's like bad uh, for these individuals to have kids. I think it just ends up being the case that like it would also be bad for you to encourage them to have kids, even if it was the case it was to make you happy. Um, because obviously, it wouldn't cause it to be more happiness in the world. It would just cause it to be less.
1: Okay, I'm just writing down some thoughts here. Uh, so one, one, th- it's this is just a question. So I asked before: Do you have a kind of Buddhist view of the self? To which you said, "Yeah." Another question would be: Do you have a human sort of view of the self? I think there's a similarity because you know Hume is famous for denying the self. Would you say you also hold a, a Humean sort of view of the self?
0: Ah, uh, if that's how you, if that's how you, uh, you'd explain Hume's view. Then yeah, I would. Uh, I would I would hold the view that there's not really anything that the that the self boils down to, and instead there aren't distinctions that actually exist between individuals. Just like a, yeah, like the, just the social fiction. So yeah.
1: Okay. I think Hume's view of the self as well as maybe his views of other things like causality might stem from his view of concepts, uh, the nature of universals as they've been called historically. He was a nominalist, I believe. And I, I think that that fed into his view of self. So maybe at some point it would make sense to talk about that in the, in the name of going to the fundamentals. So if if, uh, if you're a nominalist about concepts, then maybe that's at least partly where your view of the self is coming from. Would you say you are a nominalist?
0: Uh, it's not clear to me that I'm a nominalist. Um, I'm one is that I'm not sure the distinction, um, really exists, but if the, if it was, I'm not sure that I'd lie on the nominalist portion of that distinction. I think it's, I think it's the case that there are, um, I think the, the, the concepts are, it's really hard to cash out, like, like if concepts exist as a, um i think deeper than um i think deeper than i guess the nominalist view would would have described to so i'm not entirely i'm not entirely sure um if i would lean on the nominalist portion the nominalist portion of that distinction
1: okay all right I, i'll just uh i'll leave that to the side for for the moment and so the other thought i had was um i mean throughout this conversation both of us have been using the terms you and i um, like i don't think this or yeah. Do you think this, um, it, I mean, it's just, uh, all over language. So I'm, w- I'm wondering, are these, what's what Ayn Rand would call stolen concepts? Have you read Ayn Rand at all?
0: Uh, I haven't, I haven't like deeply engaged with Ayn Rand. I've read a little bit of her stuff. I think I've read more of her fiction than her nonfiction. Um, I've read a bit on her, um, thoughts on the Azat gap. Uh, and I've, I've read her, I've read Anthem. Um, but I, I'm not like a, like a, like a deep scholar of Ayn Rand or anything. I'm sure that you've read a lot more on that than I have.
1: Okay, there is a, a uh idea she came up with, which is called a stolen concept, which is using some concept without license to, basically, which is why she calls it a stolen concept. So I think um, I'll, I'll, maybe I should give it a different sort of example. If you say there are such things as... Uh, parents but no children (laughs) you don't believe children exist but you do believe parents but Mm -hmm. the concept of parent depends on or being such a thing as a child so you have no epistemological right so to speak to use the concept parents if you deny the existence of children so uh, i think that might be an example in another realm of what a stolen concept is likewise here Mm -hmm. i think maybe it would be stealing the concept of you or i Mm -hmm if you deny that there's anything like a a metaphysical self or an individual self now maybe you say it's just a useful fiction yep so yeah we do use these terms you and i but what we mean by that is not anything metaphysically deep it's just a convenient way to help us communicate mm-hmm. each other that might be another a term each other uh, mm-hmm. which maybe is stolen so, I mean, I don't know if if it ultimately makes sense to say this is just a useful fiction. Um, I don't consider it to be a useful fiction. Uh, anyways, I um, just wanted to register that maybe the, these are stolen concepts. I'm not sure at this point how to prove whether or not they are. If you're going to take some tact to say it's just a useful fiction, maybe you could get out of the charge of stealing the concepts um yeah th- uh, method
0: yeah i think so and I, I think that the maybe the example i'd give is like you wouldn't believe that unicorns exist but you'd probably believe that like if i asked you how many horns a unicorn has um you think it'd be reasonable to say one horn so i think there you could just be totally fictionalist about these I, if like i asked you like what are spider-man superpowers there's no such like, spider-man but you could probably give me some examples like he spins webs and he like climbs walls um the i think that the ability to use this communicatively right you could say like me and you use it to communicate to each other but I could also say something like um I could, I could say something like I and you in terms of like I could have like an internal monologue or I can imagine a conversation between two individuals and neither of them really exist as individuals right but I could still like imagine these two um distinct thought processes uh thought processes um communicating between each other if I asked you like what is it that makes you you over time like you could give me something like I think it's, I have control over my mind, but you wouldn't say you have control over like the past use action. You couldn't go back in time. You also don't like currently, at least the you that we're talking about doesn't have control over future use actions. You can have some influencing factor there, but you could also have an influencing factor on me. So like in any kind of way that we'd actually distinguish these concepts seems like they're totally fictional. Um, It seems like if we start talking about what is it that makes you you, there's not really something that we could talk about there. And it seems like the evolutionary debunking and reinforcing arguments seem to have some kind of bearing there. So it it, it seems like it's fine to use them as a fiction for the sake of having a conversation, but it doesn't seem like it's all too fine to think there's anything, like you said, metaphysically deep about this.
2: Okay. So a couple of thoughts.
1: Um, One is about controlling. Oh, actually, before that. um, Oh, yeah, I think you could have an internally consistent view where um, other people are a fiction. Like, I was thinking, you know, the, the common idea, what if we're all in the Matrix, or if there's an evil demon, as Descartes thought, and, you know, you're just a figment of my... You're part of my dream. Um, so, I mean, you could have that sort of view, and I guess there's a kind of... Um, it's not... Uh, the face of it inconsistent, but I, I think maybe if you push it a little further, um, maybe it's not. I, I don't know that it's consistent, ultimately, to hold that there's no external world, or that we have no access to it, which I think uh, entertained, at least at a certain stage of his uh, meditation. Um, like, you could only... Or what if everything is a dream? I think that's a stolen concept, actually. Because the only way you could understand what a dream is, is by contrast to wakeful awareness. Otherwise, the term dream would have no meaning. So I think uh, grasping what a dream is presupposes an awareness of non-dream. So I think um, maybe something like that argument could be used to show that it's incoherent to suppose that thing is a dream or that there is no external world. What do you mean by external world? As <laughs> set by contrast to um, some other world, internal. Uh, or maybe it would be the other way. Like you can have a concept, concept of this is just my mind unless you had a concept of something apart from your mind, contrast with which you grasped what your own mind is. Um, so that's that was one thought. Uh, the other was like, um, can't we do, um, isn't there a kind of parody that prevents us from being able to say that my mind is more mine than it is yours? Um, so what if we just take, for instance, um, right now I can, um, I can, uh, I can move my arm. So I, I'm moving my arm. I'm controlling this. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't think I can do that with you. I can't make you start moving your, your arm when I want to. Um, so what do you say to that as a uh, – like if I, I, if I use this as evidence that I have – as a way to dis, to say there is a distinction between my mind and what it controls, mm-hmm. your mind and what it controls. So, what, what do you say to that?
0: Well, I would, I would ask something like um, can you – right now, can you have not moved your arm? Can you choose to not move your arm in the past? The answer is no. But you'd still say that's you, right?
1: Can't change, yeah, in the past, but mm-hmm. we can in the present.
0: Right? Yeah, or but it, you'd say that...
1: I can't change it at any time.
0: Well, I think you could. Um, I think that me and you could choose it in the future. We could change that action in the future. Like, for example, if somebody were, were tortured into it, right? You could torture somebody into moving their arm. Um, you can make it so that they, they don't even have volition over it, right? like there are, there are examples of people who have been tortured into um, people who are like incredibly de- dedicated soldiers, right? Going and giving out um, secrets because they've been tortured. They've had, the, they've had that tortured out of them. And that's because like if you, if you ask these people who have been through these processes of torture, um, even if it's the case they didn't have anything to say, they'll tell you, yeah, if there was anything that I could have said to make that stop, I would have done it. I, have, I wouldn't even have control. I wouldn't even have had control over uh, my action or had volition there, right? I would have just spat it out. And so I don't think that means that this person no longer has a mind. I still think they have, a, they have what what you'd maybe call like a subjective experience. Um, but I don't think it's the case they have some mind that's like eh, going to be made distinct by virtue of controlling, right? Or made distinct at all, really. I think that you can't control your actions of the past, but you still say that's your mind. Um, there are some people who won't be able to control their actions of the future, uh, but they would still say that's their mind, right? We well, could imagine if, you, if I took your brain out of your skull um, and put it somewhere else, maybe you could control your thoughts, but you couldn't control any kind of like external action, like moving your arm or something, right? You could have no no um, neural output, but I think you'd still say you have a mind there.
2: It's like you're
1: uh, be invoking a brain in a vat sort of idea, sort of. If you remove the brain from a skull, um, well, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you can come back to that. But just let's go back to the the torture case. Mm-hmm. So, I think you can do some things to affect the the mental state of someone you've got tied down on a torture rack. It's, I, I still think that that person has a control over his own minds that his torturers do not. I mean, he, maybe during the process of his torture, he decides to think about something that maybe will help him, um, that will help him lessen the what's going on. Maybe there's something I don't know, um, some vivid memory he has from uh, many years ago. If he fixates on that in his mind while the torture is happening, mm-hmm. uh, he's able to reduce the um, the suffering that he experiences. Let, let's. I, I think we can imagine that something like mm-hmm. true, like he can tr- can control his mind doing that, but his torturers cannot. They don't get to. Uh, they they might have no knowledge at all of, that he had this very riveting experience years ago that he can lean on to help him through tough times. So he can activate this memory and fixate on it, whereas they can't. It can do that.
0: It's not so clear to me that the torture doesn't have doesn't have any kind of control of making somebody deliberate over a um a, like a past memory. Like if I if I said right now um um yeah. imagine the color red right you might do it involuntarily you might not even want to do it you might, you might now like imagine the color red in your mind's eye or something right I might I could I could imagine like I could say something like don't think of um don't don't think of like red red tigers or something right and like even just by virtue of mentioning the red tiger right it pops into your head. Um, so it's the case that there's some amount of like involuntary aspects of what, like what your mind seems to be doing. And there are some that are voluntary. Like, for example, the fact that you're having any suffering at all is something the torturers are causing, um, to what you're calling your mind. Right. But it, and it's not something you can totally isolate, but you can maybe reduce it by you also making some decisions there. So it's not the case that like these, these, what, are, what you're saying are like internal states seem to be totally isolated from the actions of other people's internal states, so to speak. Right. Like if I do something and then you do something, um, it seems like it's the case that my actions can have an impact on what you're thinking. Like in the the case of like the red tiger example or the what's what's it like to see red example.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying that external people can have some impact. I think the question is, uh, do they have the same impact? Is there some impact I can have on myself that external people can't have? If the answer is yes. I think that's evidence that there is some kind of difference. There is a means of distinguishing between your own mind and other people's minds. Also, um, what you said made me wonder if your view is of free will, because you said some things are involuntary, things are voluntary. Um, I mean, that's kind of a, Maybe that's a tangential discussion but i would be a,
0: be a compatibilist your
1: view on free will is
0: oh I, yeah yeah exactly i'd just be a compatible. i'd just be a compatibilist i think it's the case that there are um that it's it's both the case that everything is the process of cause and effect and then i think the internal deliberative cycle is what i'd call like the will um and i think that internal deliberative cycle is something that can make decisions out there in the world um i say internal deliberative cycle what i mean by that is not that it's really internal or external but that just that there is some deliberative cycle out there um and it could be the case that these are interacting deliberative cycles. Like mine might interact with yours, and yours might interact with mine. Um, and there, might, be, there might, not, might not even really be a distinction between these. But there is something which deliberates um, and comes to, comes to make decisions. And maybe it's the case that like, the, there are larger-scale deliberations that are done by smaller um, subsy, subsystems or like a, that supervene onto other deliberations that are deeper down or something. But I think there's a del- deliberative process. Um, and I think that's what we usually use when we, when we use like the, the full concept of like a choice um, and I think that there's like it's also the case that everything in the universe is dictated by cause and effect, even even onto the, the level of like um uh, like not believing like indeterminacy or like the Copenhagen interpretation. I think it's the case that everything does seem to be dictated by some some prior states of affairs.
1: Okay, that's another issue unto itself. I I'm of the view that compatibilism is incoherence. I don't think determinism, for anyone who doesn't know compatible. there are different forms of it, but um the idea that uh determinism is compatible with free will one kind of compatibilism. And I don't think that's kind of coherence. Um I also don't think uh determinism is compatible with moral responsibility. It's another form of compatibilism. Uh you might hold one of those but not the other, in which case you would be a semi-compatibilist. I know one semi-compatibilist uh john fisher uh uh uc riverside professor but anyways i i don't think either form of compatibilism makes sense and um i don't know if that's something we should talk about but just to uh, my view on the table there mm-hmm. um regarding compatibilism uh yeah that's what i think of that
0: maybe if i asked you the if i asked you the really minimalist claim just that everything is dictated by cause and effects would you i mean that seems to be to me like the minimalist de- determinist claim that seems to be the, all all that that seems to be all that is true um, necessary to be true in order for determinism to be true it's just the claim that everything is dictated by chains of cause and effect do you think it's the case that there is not a chain of cause and effect in terms of your um, your brain's deliberative processes that cause you to act a certain way do you think if it was the case that your your neurology was different that you would still make the same decisions or what do you think it is that causes you to make the decisions you do
1: well I, I think i cause myself to make the decisions i make so i i do believe in cause and effects but i think it can cause and effect can take different forms i don't think a deterministic or mechanistic causation is the only form of causation i think if we're we're uh, being empirical about it i think we, we should acknowledge that it seems that we are causal primaries in a way. And a lot of determinists will grant that there's an illusion of free will, but they call it an illusion, right? They at least acknowledge there's an illusion. Some don't. I talked to one on my channel, Aaron Rabinowitz, uh, several months ago, And he denies that there's even illusion of free will um, where you are a kind of causal primary. I think Sam Harris might also deny that. But I think most determinists um, would accept that there's at least this appearance. But then they they go on to say, well, we shouldn't take that appearance of self-causation at face value because science allegedly provides evidence Overrides what you introspectively come to believe if you just relied on introspection. It's another issue. Introspection, you know, is that a valid means of knowledge? I think it is if it's interpreted properly. If you throw out introspection, then uh, I don't think you have a basis for believing in something like free will. I don't think introspection should be thrown out. Um, so I, to briefly. Uh, put my answer. I do think there is a, I, I think there's cause and effect and that it, it's always operating, but it takes different forms. In the case of human beings, I think it, it takes a different form than determinism. I think you might call it self-causation.
0: Yeah. I think if you're saying that it's um, self-causation, then I, it might just be a semantic dispute. So long as you agree that those, the things that are those initial self-causations have some kind of um, prior factors that lead to them. And if it's not the case you, you, you would agree to that, then that would be something that we actually have a real dispute on. Um, do, is it the case that you think that, like, those initial causes of, your, of what you're calling yourself's, um, yourself's actions, do you think those initial causes have some prior thing that caused them? Or do you think they just sort of, like, they just kind of pop into existence and exist out there in, like, the void?
1: I think there are prior factors that influence and constrain the sorts of choices you can make. Like, uh, right now I'm in the sort of being that's, um, not choose to just flap my arms and fly. So that's, I can't choose that. That's, I am the kind of being that can choose to move my arm like this, not fly, but just move it like this. I think more fundamentally, um, I can control the operation of my mind. Uh, I can choose whether to focus my mind on something or or just let it drift. And Ayn Rand's theory, that's the root choice that is up to us. We can focus our minds or not. Sometimes she puts it as think or not. And that's that's influenced. I mean, it's there are pre, uh, prior factors that have to be in place for that choice to happen like we have to have brains of a certain sort i think if you've got a fish brain or a bird brain then this sort of choice is not open to you i tend to think that those lower animals are deterministic although they are conscious but um once you get a human sort of brain then i think you are able to make a choice and there's nothing prior to that choice that can explain why you chose one way rather than the other, since why you chose to focus rather than not. If there were something that explained it, if to explain it means to determine it, well, then it wouldn't be a choice. I think it's it would be uh, begging the question or uh, to ask for the explanation of a choice, if what you mean by an explanation is something that made it one way rather than the other, where the... Whereas, you know, the, the claim being made is that there isn't anything prior that forced you to go or that determined you to go one way rather than the other.
0: So that's that's curious to me, because it does seem like we have good reason to believe that there is something that pushes you one way or the others, even even in spite of having a human brain. Like there are people who have human brains who didn't make that choice and then some who do make the choice to actively do the process of like focusing their mind versus not doing so. Um and it seems like that's—it seems like there are—if there are some people out there who aren't doing that, I think we can, we can see certain kind of trends in the kind of people who don't do it. And it seems like they're in a certain type of environment. It seems like some people are in an environment that leads to, that leads to them being more likely um, to do this action, and other people are in environments that make them uh, less likely to do such an action.
1: I don't think environments is— uh... I mean that that does also constrain your choices in a in another kind of way. Uh like if you're um if you're raised in a war torn environment or it's like a state of anarchy, uh then maybe you're you can't make the choice to start a business that's gonna be successful and or your your property rights and your business are respected and you can grow because, you know, you're just gonna be attacked. There are things you can do uh, within that war-torn environment, like you can um, try to escape it. I think, that, or or try, or you cannot try to escape it. I think that this was the example that came up in, in my previous discussion with Aaron Rabinowitz. Um, the the environment you're you're raised in. It does have an effect on the the range of options open to you, but I don't think it it eliminates all options. You still have options and it's up to you. I think to make the most of whatever cards you're dealt.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's the case that you don't have options, but I do think it's the case that those, those environmental differences that have causes and effects that then lead to that thing that you're causing, calling the, the root cause to choose to focus or not that lead to differences in making that choice. So it's like, if it's the case that every single time that you, you focus you end up suffering a lot because of it, then I think it's less likely you'll choose to focus in the future. You learn not to, right? You learn that, okay, every time I focus, I realize how bad my situation is. So instead, I'll just not think very hard about it. Um, and it seems like that's a tendency, that's a trend that is influenced by the environment. This thing you're calling the, the, the sort of like the, the root choice, I think you said it was, um, seems to be the kind of thing that even that root choice is influenced largely by the environment.
1: So the... Um... The idea is that if you focus, it'll cause you to suffer, or at least it might in some cases, and then that will somehow reinforce the choice not to focus. Uh, well, that's... The one thought on that is I think being out of focus, at least in many, if not all contexts, uh, is, is not good for you. I think that the mind is a is our tool of survival. I think that's what makes human beings uh, able able to do the amazing things that they can. We have these distinctive kinds of minds that allow us to create technology like we're using right now and go to the moon. And if we're out of focus all the time, then we wouldn't be able to discover the knowledge and invent the technology that enhances our lives. So I think, at least from that perspective, out of focus is detrimental to your survival and well-being. Um, now, you might be, and um, like if you're caught in a concentration camp, um, maybe in that sort of environment, uh it would make sense to try to focus your mind because if you do focus it on reality uh, it's just so horrifying that uh you might think it's it's better uh not to be in focus maybe try to drug yourself or dr- resort to alcohol um maybe commit suicide i think it it, it could be rational to, to commit suicide if you're in certain very uh magic circumstances like a concentration camp Mm -hmm. um it's uh if you're not in that sort of case if if there is a a chance at least a large enough chance of survival i think you would be better off focusing your mind might come with some uh uncomfortable effects but i think in the long run, you'll you'll be better off and more comfortable <laughs> if you do focus your mind.
0: I think that's true. Um, I think it is true that for most people, at least, it's better they're better off focusing their minds than not doing so. I think there are some exceptions where a person isn't, like you said. Um, but I think what's really important to note is that if you're not focusing your mind, you're not probably you are you're pretty unlikely to figure out that focusing your mind is going to be helpful to you. So there are some people who are in situations such that in the the early stages of development, like during childhood or things like this, right. Uh, these people end up having experience, experiences such that it's not very helpful, helpful to them um, for the first few few years of their life or so, um, like the first call, the first 10 or 20 years of their life, um, to spend much time focusing because what ends up happening is just it causes them suffering in that moment. Now, maybe they'd be better off long term doing that. But given if your first 20 years of uh, focusing are really, really miserable, right? And every single time you focus, it feels bad. And every time you stop focusing, it feels good. Um, then it might be the case you never focus long enough to figure out that it's going to be good long term. And instead, you just give up. You just give up on thinking very deeply about subjects, and it's the case that you then you don't make that same that 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 the same root cause root decision that somebody like you did, and instead you make the decision to just avoid focusing altogether. Um, I think this is the kind of thing that could certainly be influenced by environment. I think it probably is for a lot of people, and it seems like if that's the case, um, then there is some initial cause outside of just that person's choices. There's some initial cause that exists out there in the world, out there in the environment, which then has the effect of them making that the uh, the effect of them making that choice to to either focus or not focus.
2: Okay. I'm I'm not finding that sort of story plausible.
1: I don't think I, I'm not even sure it's coherent to suppose that your environments or your past experience could influence your choice to focus or not because this is a primary choice. Like if you're not, if you're not yet in focus, then um, these, these prior uh, experiences can't be part of the um, uh, mental content that's uh, influencing you to act, to choose in a certain way. I mean, Choosing to focus your mind is getting your mind into gear such that you can consider past experiences um, in your environment. Therefore, let those things have a bearing on your, your choice, I guess, whether to maintain focus. You first have to be in focus for these things to have a bearing on any further choice, make so i'm not sure it's coherent to think that these things could influence what i'm calling the primary choice
0: so you're talking not about um not about the the act of choosing to be in focus or not at all but that initial action of choosing to be in focus that first action of doing that it seems like in that case it doesn't seem to be a choice at all it seems like if it's the case that you're that you're in focus that you're that way due to some kind of like neurological structures it doesn't seem plausible to me that a person is in focus because of some process of decision making, because it seems like processes of decision making have the, have the property of being about inputs and outputs. It seems like you take an input, you do some processes to these, and you get an output on the end. It seems like if it's the case you're making a decision, there has to be some input that comes along with that.
1: I think in, there is an input in the case of many sorts of decisions, but I think it's different in the case of this primary choice, as I'm calling it, or as and calls it. So, if you're if you're deciding, say um, you're going to go on a hike tomorrow, and uh, you're deciding whether to take this trail or that trail, then in thinking that through, there are going to be inputs like, well, um, uh, how how good a view do I have of the the ocean? Let's say if it's a, if you're by the coast good a view uh, will this one trail give me versus this other trail? And that that consideration of how good the view will be is an input to your decision. Maybe if you want a really good view, that's going to um, influence you to take one trail rather than the other. So in that kind of decision, I do think there are inputs that affect the sort of decisions you make. But when we're talking about the the primary choice of whether to focus your mind at all, there I don't think there are inputs, and um, maybe they, maybe they could weigh make, make it easier or harder for a given individual to choose. But I think there's always going to be choice. I, I don't think it's ever the case that, that primary, choice is determined, I mean, if it is um, influenced say by your your genes,
0: so. Do you remember the process of having that first choice? Is there there? Um, I, obviously, it seems like it's been so far back that it's unlikely to be remembered by either of us. Do you think you remember the first time you've ever made you ever made that decision, or do you think it's one that's like out of reach of memory?
1: No, I, I don't think it's out of reach, and I, I also don't think it's something that just happens when you're like two years old or whenever you might imagine that someone makes his first choice. Uh, I think it's it's an ongoing thing in a person's life, and um, I don't know how often it is. Maybe it's it's every uh, few seconds or um, minutes, or at least several times a day. But I, I think we regularly have the opportunity to um, make this choice of whether to focus our minds or not. I don't think it's just something that happens once in our life when we're others.
0: Maybe I could clarify. I'm asking, cause it seemed like what we were talking about earlier was not this ongoing recurrent choice. Cause obviously there are some that's clearly influenced by the, uh, by the, uh, by the environment. But what I'm asking about is that first initial decision to do, to make this choice, right. To make the choice to focus. Um, we were talking about how to ever have influencing, to ever have those influence, uh, influencing factors, on the, the choices to focus down the line, the first choice to focus, you have to answer yes to. Um, so what I'm curious here then is the first choice to focus, do either of us really remember that one? Because all these other ones we can see there are causes and effects. But for this one, it seems like that's where the issue lies. I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out if either of us can remember that, that, first, that first choice. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: I, yeah, I do think, um, at least in certain cases, I... I don't know if I'd say remember it or just directly receive it through introspection. I think we have to make that choice at least um some sometimes when we wake up like we're not when we sleep we go to sleep and then we wake up and maybe we're kind of groggy in bed and um we have an opportunity to um, get our minds into gear, so to speak, which is just kind of a another way of saying just to focus our minds or just kind of continue to drift a kind of foggy, half-awake, half-asleep sort of state. And uh, I think that could be a case where you can directly introspect yourself, making a choice to focus your mind. I, this, I think it could also happen later in the day. Maybe you're... Um, Reading a book, sometimes it happens where you maybe you're studying for for school, and you're reading this book, and you, you notice your mind starts to wander, you start daydreaming about something else. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, I, I'm not, uh, or maybe you kind of half realize you're in a kind of foggy state. Um, and you can respect yourself, making a choice to focus your mind back on what you were reading. And uh, that's something that I think we can introspect ourselves doing, catch ourselves out of focus, and then we can choose to come back into focus.
0: No, I agree that we can we can seem to make choices there, but it seems like we can make choices while we're in that groggy state too. So it doesn't seem like it requires that first choice of focus. Now I'm now, now I think I'm confused because I thought the I thought by focusing we meant something more significant than just like maybe the colloquial usage. Because if we're talking about focusing in the sense of like when you wake up in the morning, well, I can clearly in that groggy state make choices. I can make the choice to not snap myself into it and start getting. Um, it, getting super active in my, in my uh, daily life. But instead, I can just think, like, okay, I'm going to choose to roll over one way or the other. But those still seem to seem like choices. It still seems like choices if I'm going to choose to, like, take my phone from beside me and start checking, like, uh, like Twitter or, like, uh, like uh, YouTube or TikTok or something. Those seem like choices to me. So it doesn't seem like the prerequisite for those choices is the choice to focus.
1: So I, I do think you can... Um the primary choice can be made while you're in that groggy state and i think the options there are to uh, get out of the groggy state focusing your minds or to uh just allow yourself to continue in in the groggy states and uh it's likewise in the case of um Twitter, or if if you're on your phone, you're looking through your, scrolling through your feed, and you might have this sense that I should be doing something else. I've got a test coming up tomorrow. Let's say if you're a student, I know I need to be studying this, and you've got this kind of nagging sense. You might feel kind of out of control. I I shouldn't really be doing this, um, and, and you have a choice there to make your mind. Into gear, or to focus it, and uh really think uh carefully about you know should I still be scrolling, or you could choose to just continue riding that desire or emotion uh, the little pleasures you get, dopamine hits you get from seeing that your your last tweet got a new like or you can just ride that kind of out of focus rather than facing head-on the issue of whether you can really afford to be spending time like this. Now, maybe if you do kick your mind into gear, focus it, you you will rationally decide, actually, I can't afford it. I, I've studied enough. I can afford to spend some more time on Twitter. Then you're making the choice um, in a you, – you've got more control over it. You're not just – you're not continuing to scroll through your feed – in an out-of-focus, uncontrolled kind of way, you're doing it more purposefully once you've made the choice to focus your mind. I think those are, you are, again, you're not coming out of the groggy sleep state, but you're coming out of the um, uh, out-of-control scrolling through your Twitter feed states and either choosing to get into focus from that state or to continue in your out-of-control
0: so that, that seems strange to me because it seems like every single time that I um eh, I, I I flip the, the, the Twitter feed a slight, a slightly lower to see one new post, it seems like I made a choice there. Are you saying that you, you would dispute that? You think that isn't making a choice, but it's instead just sort of like a reflex or something along those lines?
1: I'm not sure I got that. Could you... Say that one more
0: time. Oh yeah, what I was saying was, it seems to me like every time that I'm on my Twitter feed and I I, I make the the movement of putting my thumb at the bottom of the screen and then moving it up at to the top, that I've made a choice there as well. Even if I'm in that kind of like groggy sort of like not so self controlled sort of uh, sort of state, um, it seems like I'm still making a choice. It's just that I'm I'm making a choice that I haven't thought very hard about. Instead, I thought very like lightly about the choice. I've like kind of. Um, Eh, thought maybe one layer deep, and then made the choice, and then done it. Are you saying that it's not the case that you consider that a choice? You think choice is something that's like a like a higher thing than that?
2: Maybe uh, you could call that choice made while you're out of focus.
1: And I think if you if you do that, I mean, if that's the right, right way to describe it. And I don't think you're going to be making the optimal choice for yourself. Yeah, You'll probably be getting signals, uh, kind of a sense of uneasiness that um, uh, if you're making these choices to continue scrolling while you're out of control or while you have this sense of being out of control, that it's not the best for your well-being. So I, I guess you could make the choices in that way, but they wouldn't be optimal for you.
0: No, yeah, I completely agree that, that it's not an optimal way to um, go, about, uh, go about living your life, but it's at least possible. Um, and so then if it's at least possible that you're making choices without having made this, this other kind of choice, then that couldn't, that couldn't be like the one root choice that all other choices stem from, because obviously you could do it without making that choice, which seems to be an issue for the VO.
1: Okay, I think I see what you mean. I, well, I think by default you are making a choice on that primary issue of whether to focus your mind. So, if you're if you're in a kind of out of control state and you continue to make choices within that out of control state about whether to continue scrolling or not, I think you're 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 kind of simultaneously making choices on two different levels. You're making primary choice to continue in your out of focus state. And simultaneously, uh, you're making these sub or secondary choices, we might call them, of what to do in that sort of control state. At least that's my tentative uh, way of thinking about what's going on there.
0: So I guess maybe uh, – maybe, uh...
1: So you don't have to be in focus. Mm-hmm. You don't have to choose to make – Mm-hmm. Choose to be in focus to make any choices at all, but I think you do have to choose to be in focus to make the best or most optimal choices. That's yeah, kind of how I'm thinking of it right now.
0: I would agree with that. I would agree that you have to be in focus to make, um, at least generally, to make optimal choices. There are probably some exceptions out there, right? Like the the, the exception of the person in the um, uh, in the concentration camp is one where there'd be an exception. But I think generally it's a good rule to live by, right? To like make sure that you're you're focusing on what you want to do. And that you're thinking really hard about what you want to do. I think that that's all completely reasonable. But um, I guess what's then unclear to me, right, is not just is it optimal. But when we're talking about things like um, yeah, things like is there free will or is there determinism, seems like what's really important here is that we can't trace back all of these choices to some kind of initial environmental cause or some kind of initial um, uh, genetic cause. Because otherwise, it just seems like then your view is just totally compatible with the, uh, with the with at least some forms of determinism. And if you're saying you're an incompatibilist, then that seems to be um, troublesome for the view. Maybe, maybe a way we can get clarity is just, just by asking a question that's kind of been left, uh, uh, left on the sidelines. Maybe I'll, just, I'll ask it directly, right? What do you think it means for something to be a choice?
2: I think it means
1: that someone has an option or more options, and they determine which of those options becomes reality. Maybe I'll use that as my, at least my first pass at uh, answering that question.
0: Did you say they choose which of those becomes reality?
1: I don't want to use the term choice if you're asking me to define choice and, mm-hmm. um if you get, so what does it mean to um choose I would I want to answer that without using the term choose uh so I guess I, I would say um there is two there are two or more options available to someone and that someone I'll have to use another word determines <laughs> Which of those options comes actualized? Maybe something like that.
0: They determine it. Um,
1: it's a case of self-determinism. Mm-hmm. You
0: might call it. Okay, choices or self-determination. That. So I guess when you say self-determinism, I, is is this going to be reliant on those choices being those that, or those, those those acts of self-determination? Is this relying on those acts of self-determination being something that's totally external to any kind of impact the world's had on them? Or is it totally compatible to say that like something like, I, um, I am determining myself because of these inputs, right? I'm doing this action of self-determination because of the fact that I have a certain type of environment, I have a certain type of brain. It's the case that I don't have a squirrel brain, I have a human brain, right? If I had a squirrel brain, I'd be collecting nuts, but I have a human brain, so instead I'm, um, eh, I'm trying to do, um, eh, maybe I'm trying to do moral good or I'm trying to do what's good for me. Um, actions like this, do you think that it's the case that these acts of self-determination are things that you can do, even if it's the case, that environment ends up being the ultimate cause of this.
2: If the environment is the
1: ultimate cause, then I don't think something like self-determination genuinely exists, which is not to deny... I I think self-determinism or self-determination Consistent with being influenced by your environment, like in the um, war torn example, influences the kinds of ways you could determine yourself, it doesn't totally constrain them. But if the idea is that the environment totally constrains, totally determines your actions, then I don't think that kind of influence wouldn't even. I'm not sure I would call it influence. I might just call it environmental determinism determinism. So if there is genuine self self-determination or self-determinism, I think the environment at most could be an influence. It couldn't totally constrain what you do.
0: So let's imagine somebody has total control over the physical world, but not over not over your mind um, in any kind of any any kind of direct sense. Do you think that like through things that could do to your physical brain, that would make any, anything they wanted happen to your your uh your mental state or do you think that like the mental state exists as some kind of like thing that's um distinct as like i like i think that has like a one directional causality it causes the, the the your brain to do things but your brain your brain having things done to it does not cause your mind to do things do you think somebody could do something to your brain such that it would have some that any someone could do some hypothetical thing such as you could have any kind of cause on your mind that's possible for your mind to have
1: I do think there are things other people could do that, um, affect the contents of my mind. Like when you said, don't think of a red tiger, you know, a tiger pops into my minds. But, uh I I don't think you can totally, uh, you don't have total control or influence uh, over what's in my mind. But if, if the hypothetical you were, if you were, you were saying, what if someone could, um, was that part of your hypothetical? What
0: if somebody. Exactly. Like somebody had, had godlike control over the physical world. Uh, they're limited in terms of their, their, um, their, any, any kind of direct access to the mental world. They can do whatever they want with the physical, including whatever they want with your brain. Is it the case that they can then, because of this, do whatever they want with your brain just by changing things about the physical world?
1: Is it the case that they can do whatever they want with my mind? Is that what you meant to say, rather than my brain?
0: No, I'm, I'm very...
1: example, that they
0: can- i very... I, I'm super intentional. I definitely mean they can do whatever they want with your brain, right? Is that the case that because of that, they can do whatever they want with your mind?
2: Okay.
1: Uh... I don't know if they can do whatever they want with my... I guess it would depend on... Um, Well, if they have total control over my brain, maybe there's a way to um, affect the, the matter of my brain such that I lose free will or volitional control. Maybe there are other ways of affecting my brain. I think there are these that don't eliminate that free will or volitional control. So um, could they have total control over what's in my minds? Um, Maybe. I guess I I don't want to rule that out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think uh, if they did, they would would be somehow um, changing my brain such that Normally gives rise to self-control or volition, free will. Has been damaged or destroyed.
0: Could they give you the same kind of um phenomenal experience um as when you when you feel as though you have free will? Could they make it seem to you as though you have free will when you in fact don't?
2: I'm not sure
1: it is um i guess it's part of my general experience of the world that i that i do have free will it's could someone give that to me as an illusion maybe i don't know
0: so i think that if it's the case they could if it's the case they could give that to you as an illusion i think that that undercuts i think um one big piece of evidence um, that, that I think both of us would use in favor of the idea of having will, which ends up being the. Um, it ends up being that like, we can't use our intuition as that evidence. It seems like we have to use something else now as the evidence. And if we're using something else as the evidence, I don't see a good reason to believe that whatever else we're using as our evidence, if it's not intuition, um, to believe that, it is, that it's going to be totally distinct from those in, impacts about the in, impacts about the world. It seems like if your brain chemistry had evolved a different way, um, if your neurology had evolved in some different way, that it wouldn't be the case, you'd make the decisions you do. Um, and in fact, decisions like focusing or not focusing, it could seem to be the case that you could have made the, dec- you could have the capacity to do, to, to go about making this decision to focus, but then not do it because instead of it being caused suffering by the environment or something, it's caused suffering by the, by the neurology of your brain. Um, it seems like that's something like that's, this, this, totally, um, totally plausible, um, and compatible with, the with, uh, or at least our current scientific understanding of neurology and um, of physics.
2: Okay, so
1: I'm not sure I followed all of that, but the beginning part of it's, let me just go back to that. So uh, even if it's granted that someone could give me the illusion of having free will if he has total control over my brain... I don't I'm not sure that um that's grounds for doubting that i
2: have free will well so, because I, I think um this is just
1: uh an arbitrary an arbitrary kind of doubts maybe something parallel could be said about um the um, the Descartes evil demon sort of case, maybe we can imagine that it's it's possible um, that somehow I have the illusion that uh, you know I'm sitting here observing the worlds with uh, a plant next to me, and a wall behind me, and all the other things I see. But really, it's all just a dream. Uh, I don't think that uh, the fact that we can imagine that's the case, I don't, I don't, that's um, evidence that it is the case or could be the case. So I think it's just an arbitrary possibility, suppose, that that could be the case.
0: So I, that's interesting. I don't think it's evidence it is the case, or at least not, not strong evidence it is the case. It's probably extremely weak evidence of something like that. But I do think it's, um, I do think it's really, really strong evidence that it could be the case. Um, And when it. What I mean by could there is just like metaphysical possibility. Do you have some like other view on or do you maybe you just you just don't think the metaphysical possibility exists or do you have some other view on what it means for something something to be metaphysically possible?
1: I do think there is such a thing as metaphysical possibility and I distinguish that from epistemological possibility I don't know that the sort of distinction that I draw there is common in academic philosophy, but it's something that I learned from objectivists, Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism. The idea in objectivism of metaphysical possibility is that it's within a thing's nature, at least under some conditions to um, be able to do something like it. For example, uh, it's metaphysically possible for a, uh, a, a woman to give birth. hmm Uh, now that doesn't mean, um, if I see a woman, uh, you know, walking by me, uh, right now and, you know, she's, she's, she's not pregnant, <laughs> um, Maybe she hasn't even had sex. Oh well, it's possible that this woman is going to give birth tomorrow. After all, it's possible for women to give birth, and you're a woman. Mm. No, it doesn't work like that. To to say it's metaphysically possible for um, for this woman to give birth just means under some conditions, the right conditions, she could do this. Uh, To say it's epistemologically possible that she gives birth tomorrow, let's say. I would have to have some evidence that's particular to this case. Like, you know, she's eight months pregnant and, um, you know, it's about time for the baby to come out uh, nine months pregnant. And now I could say, well, it's epistemologically possible that this woman over here gives birth. Um, So that's the sort of distinction between metaphysical and epistemological
2: Mm -hmm.
1: possibility I would draw yeah, And, uh, I guess, uh, to, to, I was going to tie it back to, mm-hmm. I guess, in the dream case, um, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's epistemologically possible. I don't think we have evidence that, in fact, as I am right now, I'm actually in a dream. Um, metaphysically, is it possible? Um, I'm not even sure about that, but certainly epistemologically, I don't think it's possible yeah, so and that, and that's that's the sense mm-hmm. of I would say it's arbitrary to suppose it's possible.
0: so I think that um I think that in terms of it being um, metaphysically possible, I think that if we want to talk about like it could this be the case? I think in usually in um in in colloquial language, um it's like it's kind of unclear um, as we sort of like swap around when when we're talking talk about what's the words like could which particular modality we're speaking and if it's the case we're talking epistemic or like metaphysical or logical or physical um i don't i don't think it's 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 super clear um i would i would say it's like also unlikely right it's like um i don't have good reason to believe um that it's the case that we live in a dream or something like that um or that like my mind is being influenced by any kind of like um um uh, uh, manipulative force or something like that, um other than like like just like the natural processes of the outside world. I do think we have good reason to believe that the natural processes the processes of the outside world have an influencing factor on things like our neurology, on things like our decision-making capacity, and you know, things like that. And it doesn't seem like you disagree with that. Um the only point of the metaphysical, um, the metaphysical question of their metaphysical possibilities just that is it the case this thing is if it's metaphysically possible, that gives at least one reason that counts in favor of it. If it was metaphysically impossible, then it's certainly epistemically impossible. Um, at least if we, if we know that it's metaphysically impossible.
1: Yeah, so is it metaphysically possible that I could be a dream right now or that I could um, be under the illusion that I had free will? And uh, you know, I, I really don't have free will, but I, I have the illusion that I do. Um, I don't even know that that's metaphysically possible, you know, that I could be wired in that kind of way. I guess maybe metaphysical and epistemological possibility kind of overlap here. Like, do I need some evidence to, to, to know what is metaphysically possible? I need some kind of evidence... Which I just don't have. Um, I think um, we might say it's it's metaphysically impossible for a pig to fly uh, because we we know the laws of physics and they determine that a thing with certain you know, uh, weight to size ratio or whatever it is um, just couldn't couldn't fly unless you add wings onto it but that, that then we're not talking about a pig but mm-hmm. you know pigs as they are could they fly um just by moving their their limbs um i think we might we could say we have epistemological evidence that it's metaphysically impossible um for them to um fly and in the human case uh i guess feel less confident saying that it's it's metaphysically impossible um, for me to be under the illusion that I have free will. or But I also don't think that the fact that I can't say it's metaphysically impossible licenses me to say it's metaphysically possible. Um, maybe I need something more positive, not just the absence of evidence against it, but something more positive to suggest actually it's the case that it could happen. I'm under this illusion of free will or uh, that I'm in a dream.
0: Well, so I think when we talk about the epistemic possibility, I think that the the pieces of evidence that would count in favor of it are going to be things like, um, they're going to be things more than just the, the metaphysical possibility. I think one is going to be the um, existing neurological evidence. It seems like it's the case that there are good reasons to believe that the uh, the actions our brain does uh, or the actions our mind does are the um uh, in some way connected um in some like like uh, um some necessary way to the actions our brain does it seems like brains and minds have some kind of like linkage um at least like like our minds seem to be linked to brains so if that if that brain had different aspects about it then it's good, there's good reason to believe i think um on good epistemic grounds at least to believe that the to believe our mind would be different in some ways. And if, if decisions are actions of the mind um, and actions of the mind uh, correspond uh, to some action of the brain, um, then it's the case that the brain being different, the physical brain being different, would cause there to be different actions in the mind. And that's why I think we have good epistemic reason to believe that there is like a total um, truth of determinism. Um, I, I don't think it's incompatible with the view of free will, uh, but I do think it's the case we have good reason to believe that like all actions are the result of cause and effect. And if I mean, if we didn't for the mind uh, in particular, right? Um, if we had no evidence about the mind in particular, we could take a look at all of the other things in the world, and we could see all of those other things are the result of cause and effect. And now there's this other domain where it's like we're not really sure. Um, and we could take take a look at all those other things, and we could just induct onto that. And we'd have good reason to believe that in the case of the mind, it's going to be like all of these other things because all of the other things are um, all of the other things have this property.
1: Okay. I just uh, I was just wondering. Uh, do you hit the record button when we started? I want to make sure that it's yeah. being recorded right now.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's.
1: I, I've, uh, I just want to make sure we're not mm-hmm. uh, doing all this and we forgot to hit record at the beginning. That was.
0: <laughs> um. By the way, um. Uh,
1: I know on Zoom it tells you in your ear mm-hmm. like recording has started, but I don't know on Discord how it works. So. Do you um? Sure. Just wanted to. Know.
0: I, uh, yeah that, that's uh, that's what you saying it's is the is there like a specific time that you prefer your videos to be because so far we've been um uh, my recording uh says uh an hour and 29 minutes and 30 seconds so I mean an hour 30 could be like a really good uh good for a YouTube video if you prefer longer videos then we could keep going otherwise I think we could like um this is I think a, a reasonable spot to leave the discussion and maybe we could probably get back into it another time it's up to you if you had like if you have the time or if you'd like um if you like prefer your videos on like the uh hour 30 range.
1: I don't really have much of a preference on length. Um, we could we could keep going now, or we could do another session. Do you have any preference on that?
0: Um, I'd I'd be super down to do another um another discussion. I thought this was really fruitful. I enjoyed the the convo. Um, if you want, what we could do now is we could um you could shout yourself out again, so then it's on the the recording on uh, on my end on my channel, and I'll do the same. Um, then I'll send you that over through Google Drive or something.
1: Alright, yeah, so we can um yeah, we can wrap it up now. Um so again, I am uh I'm on YouTube at Dan Norton1. And uh you can also search for Selfishness Project. That's an easy way to find it, because I have a lot of videos on selfishness. at least when I started my channel a few years ago, that was a focus not so much anymore. Now i I have a broader focus and I talk about things like we're talking about now um free will and politics although we didn't really get into politics today um but uh pretty much anything in philosophy i talk about have debates and discussions on so uh yeah feel free anyone out there if you want to have a discussion uh just get in touch and maybe we can work something out and you want to shout yourself out
0: Sure. Um yeah, usually I, I have discussions on my channel as well. Um you can find me my name is Dakota. I run a channel on youtube.com/um sinthe um, or synth. Um you can go find me there. Um I, I think I do about the same thing that uh that Dan does. I do discussions and debates, but usually uh they're not as they're not as fruitful as this one. Uh, people uh, that I talk to are um yeah, not as smart as Dan is. Uh, I've talked to some really, really smart people. i got a Gnome Chomps discussion if you guys want to check that out. But I've also got discussions with people who are a little, a little bit more rowdy. Uh, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that interests you. Um, but no, I really enjoyed the discussion, Dan. Um, you have a great rest of your day. I'll see you that recording over. All
1: right, thanks.
2: Good talking to you.
0: All right, you too. Peace.